0: Blog Talk Radio The opinions and views expressed by the host and guest are not necessarily the views and opinions of the Blake Radio Network. Broadcasting, broadcasting, broadcasting to the world, broadcasting to the world, to the world, to the world. BlakeRadio.com, music for your mind, body, and soul.
1: And today's topic is from the mental authority. So tonight, I'm going to review the latest alerts, but not the public. The doctors are informed that they are harming patients, but instructed to keep doing it. Annual physical exams, commonly prescribed drugs, causing dementia. Find out why alerts the killing coming. And as always, think test. I know some people who listen to the show or when they share it with their friends, wait, wait, where is this information coming from? <laughs> and so I think it's a pretty simple question. The question, of course, is already, we have already information. What's the source of the information that I'm about to share? I don't know where the information is coming from. I mean, you know, there might be a bias establishment people, people with are asked to grind. Well, no such sources used here. Just your my analysis and, of course, share experiences. So we're going to use Medscape. It's like membership required. And so let us see what Medscape says. Okay, this is in your wrong words. You have made us a leader. Your continued readership has made us a leader in ours because our industry continues to recognize us. We have been able to build a collaboration with key organizations such as the CDC that's the FDA, food and and multiple and a multitude of medical associations and academic centers, which helps us with the information that really matters. Tell me, really does matter. And we've been able to secure interviews with recognized experts. And also receive numerous awards for your site. And so this information comes with the pro medicine industry insiders. So you know that's that's the bias there. And whether you've been with us from the beginning or recently discovered Medscape, you're one of our valued members. Now up to 100 physicians based alone, and millions really of healthcare professionals worldwide. What is patient self? This year, we're proud to be celebrating our 20th anniversary. Without your support and leadership, it wouldn't be what we are today. All right, so that's the source of today's. And so, again, this is from the mouth So what do it have to say? The 10 worst medical treatment dangers in 2015. So looking to the future, these are 20 dangers in 2015. I was shocked to hear such a tough we Well, check out number one. So, what they're saying here is that, of course, medical technology helps to cure um, patients and save lives. At the same time, as associated with these advances, are too often overlooked and can endanger patients. Is an independent, not-profit uh, studies in patient care, and they published an annual list of top 10 health technology hazards. Now, it's not a complete list. Of course, it's only 10, right? And, but they feel it's a starting point for discussion. All right. So let's talk about starting point for discussion. Now, remember, there's a death toll. You often that every year due to medical intervention. So... This is just a little glimmer um, of what the industry believes is a realistic level of concern. Clinical alarm has. <laughs> now, this is an interesting concept because a lot of um, medicine has been automated. with uh, taken over. And we as patients are led to believe that this is an advancement. It is an advance of it, we know. The consecutive year, clinical alarm has remained number one on this several reported and severe patient harm may have been prevented with more practices. This year, they highlight alarm cases. That sounds very ornate, but the point is this. You have a machine that's monitoring it. And it goes beep to take a closer look at that patient. And so if you set those limitations to that the patient's dead before you ever hear your beep. If you set it too low, mm-hmm. you have the intervention that you can actually harm or even kill a patient that does not require intervention. So major um, of these... Alarm. and these things happen generally in where blood pressure, or pulse, or rhythms are monitor- monitored. So, what you're saying here that if examples of poor practices include failing to reset the medical device with these fall limits, many patients it. In other words, same thing, and choosing inappropriate an limits, which is what I mentioned before, monitored parameter and a of levels that don't match the severity of the deletion at its time. So, this is one of the top things. So, that machine sitting next to your bedside or your loved one's bedside that's monitoring them as opposed to hunt can actually be contra- demise, mutilation, and torture. So this is something to be aware of. So when you walk in a room, the patient laying in the bed, and you look at all these machines surrounding this patient, you may actually be looking into the situation is made more dangerous by the presence of the machine. Of course, the answer to this, pretty odd. When I first started in medicine, I uh, interned at the rich and not hospital in Chestnut Hill, Pennsylvania. Yes, I know you've never heard of it because, again, it's the hospital for the rich and not so famous. Politicians, this And what did they do? They checked in with their own private duty nurse. And she kept a very... Now, for the private duty nurse, um, a loved one is a major uh, positive safety measure. Next thing is one of the top Ten hazards. This is shocking. Errors in patient data, data. Now of course you know, she's been listening right now. a used to electronic health
0: records.
1: And so one of the top ten hazards is when electronic health record records malfunction. This is amazing. So in other words, the implication is that the electronic health records are actually less accurate and more dangerous to the patient's health than to the paper health records. But guess what? No one's talking about going back to the paper health. This is a shock. We, we know that the electronic health records is in patient confidentiality and um, have other hazards. But now, what they're, what they're admitting to is that patient harm results. information they believe, inaccurate, right? in the patient's record. So, incomplete, inaccurate, or out of state, leading to incorrect treatment decisions. They can be difficult to identify and correct. And this is some extent in another patient's record. So uh, if, you, <laughs> if you work with computers, then you know this a topic scrambled, and that electronic computerized pooled data, patients, maybe even some different campuses, can have their data scrambled because now you have a larger pool and you have tons of data. Gendered- or John, John William, John Cedar Doe, or whatever. Mistakes are much more frequent and much more severe. But one data ends up in another patient's record. Next, missing or data delivery. And again, when you have a, a paper record, physical file, there's no mistaking that you've got it or you don't. You know, the doctor copies it, the courier delivers it, boom, you've got it. My record's not the case. All uh, default values by mistake. This is a very fancy way of saying the doctor was in such a hurry, got and pasted and didn't really realize that uh, he skipped over a field, leaving the usual information there when nothing. More specific to the patient could have been filled in. Or fields being filled with erroneous data. Again, doctor is cutting and pasting. Um, the introduction, cut and paste. Usual ending, cut and paste. Stuff in between, and all the different stuff. So, such a voluminous amount of uh, information in a type format
0: without, of course, a type of fit
1: is a They don't give typing classes in medical school. Mm-hmm. Consistencies in patient information in both paper and electronic record reviews. So if you are huh again if you have two you have two records that conflict, what do you do? And outdated information being copied and pasted into it. So the errors in patient data are very, very common. And Obviously, computers being what they are, it has access to the database and can corrupt it or can insert data, you know, not find the life, where a person really can be murdered just by putting a of stuff in their um, connector. The doctor acts and gives them some of those, for example, who are really not diabetic and it kills them. I once saw a sign that actually, believe it or not, this was more than 20 years ago, and so they kind of uh, anticipated this. Next, IV infusion mix-up. This is uh, amazing. A person will be in a um, medical care situation. And they'll have four or five, lines, and some lines are pumped into other lines while piggybacking. And so if so, one line is 10 cc an hour, now the other one needs to go at 50 cc an hour, or 20 cc an hour. Obviously, if you take the 10 cc, it's supposed to be 10 cc an hour, and right at 50, most likely you're going to end with a deceased cc she'll not patient. So
0: medical errors caused by a common. Yeah,
1: far too common. And the infusion pump every day. It's amazing. When an infusion pump malfunctions, you literally have to call an engineer to the side to fix it. And so this year, um, not on the pump itself, which historically has been worst error, actually, but the tube, tube that exists when the IV intravenous infusions, that means tubes, medicines going into the person, need to be administered to a single patient. So potentially dangerous when the infusion is connected to the wrong fluid container, wrong pump, or pump, pump on the patient, end of the infusion to be connected to the wrong administration group. And one liquid intended delivery was instead delivered into an epidural, or ouch. In other words, instead of going into the vein, the liquid went into the first in nervous system. So that was like that. Infusion lines. So in other words, the more IV liquid the person gas to save their lives, liquids can end up ending their lives. So, what's our next hazard? Ho ho. Dirty endoscopes and surgical instruments. Notice they put in and surgical instruments. but discopes. And they owned up to this one. the disinfection and sterilization aren't properly can be spread to subsequent patients. Although the low, well, the consequences of reprocessing failure can be. So
0: cleaning
1: of the device at the procedure room is a crucial reprocessing step. Sometimes inconsistently performed. Of course, it's always inconsistent, inconsistently performed because humans are not three humans. But if organic soil, that would be feces, other contaminants are not removed the disinfection or sterilization may not be possible. In other words, if you have a clump of feces on the endoscope, colonoscope, that's a scope you use for colonoscopy and screening it's creating a cancer body. If you have a clump of feces on it, then when you go through the infection process, the bacteria on the central never gets disinfected or sterilized. Now what people are not told, which really floored me when I was in medical school, is that these scopes, these scopes they go through, are fiber optic optic. That means they contain glass tubes that can easily break. And for this reason, they cannot be subjected to vigorous physical cleaning. I'll never forget I was in, uh, in medical school, and I was doing a rotation with this internal medicine guy, and he was a um, gastroenterologist, of course. And so he was doing these uh, colonoscopies. Actually, I'm sorry, I was a resident at the time. So he's doing his colonoscopies, and so I was very anxious to see kind of how he did this and uh, understand this and learn. So we did one colonoscopy, and then they got another colonoscopy, and got another colonoscopy and did another one, and we, we must have done about four. And then it was lunchtime. And so I noticed when he got through, he put the colonoscope in um, a basin and gently laid it down. And so I said to him, oh, are they gonna get a toothbrush and scrub those, scrub that off and clean up all the pieces? He says, oh, of course not. They're just gonna soak it there. I said, well, is it gonna go through a, a machine, like a dishwasher, you know, it's gonna blast all that stuff off with uh, nice hot water and soap? He laughed at me again. He said, oh, of course not. That's delicate fibroactive stuff. That's fibroactive too great. I said, well, well how, how, how do they make sure that the second patient doesn't get the feces from the first patient? He says, oh, it's nothing to worry about. They put that stuff in disinfecting solution. And after sitting in this bath, they move it to another uh, bucket of liquid and then another bucket of liquid and so on. Nothing to worry about. Besides, he said, feces is harmless anyway. You can imagine, my jaw dropped open. I was like <laughs> totally unconvinced. And so uh, I decided to take a second look online and to see if there's any other repercussions to this. And so we have here the Public Health Agency of Canada. It says infection prevention and control guidelines for flexible gastrointestinal endoscopy and flexible bronchoscopy. They mean tubes they put into your lungs and into your bottom end. So note, the following table is a summary of guide. A summary guide of the critical steps for the reprocessing of flexible endoscopes. In other words, instead of reprocessing, we can just say recycling or reusing. Please refer to the reprocessing manual provided by the manufacturer for each endoscope being reprocessed. Different types and models of endoscopes may require additional steps or different procedures to properly reprocess the device. Personal protective equipment should be worn at all times during reprocessing. What does that mean? That means the person doing the cleaning needs to protect themselves because they might become infected at any step in the process, which suggests or implies that no step in the process is the equipment either sterile or truly non-infectious. That's a bit alarming that it's being recommended that you undergo this colonoscopy every single year or every two years or every five years or on some kind of regular basis when you have no disease, and this is what you can pick up. So let's see what they say. So wipe down the insertion tube of the endoscope with a soft lint-free disposable cloth or endoscope sponge soaked in freshly prepared enzymatic detergent. Now wipe down that does not get off all the fecal particles doesn't say get a toothbrush and, uh, and scrub. Okay, wipe down. That's, that's pretty uh, pretty cursory and superficial. Then flush the air water channels. We're through with the outside, through with it. Well, now we're going to flush the air water channels uh, according to what the manufacturer says and an enzymatic detergent is going to be used. Okay. Next, remove all detachable parts like veil and reprocess accordingly. Attach water-resistant cap, if appropriate, transport in a covered container rapidly to reprocessing area before drying of pa- patient material occurs. Again, so what you're saying is there's still patient material on this thing. Perform leak testing as per the manufacturer's instructions. The so leak testing basically checks to see if the endoscope is still working. And then completely immerse the scope in enzymatic detergent solution. Okay, so this, like, does not impress me. And, and that's it, that's, uh, that, that's, that's what happens. And so you don't have a bunch of, uh, you know, rinsing and, and scrubbing and personal attention, uh, no. And so no wonder it's one of the top 10 issues or as they say uh, here, worst medical treatment dangers. And what makes it the worst is this is a procedure routinely done on healthy people and so basically you have a person who's healthy to start and then you expose them to this uh infection hazard yeah so this is really this is unfortunate all right so 10 worst medical treatment dangers, ventilator disconnections. Yes. So you have these people in the intensive care unit and their ventilators can get disconnected. And the worst part of this is you have a tube in the person's uh, lungs. And because the tube is so narrow, the effort required to breathe with the tube in place is actually substantial. And so in other words, there are people who actually might have been able to survive if they weren't breathing through the tube. But you put the tube in there, uh, ventilator disconnects, and boom, you've got, as they say, a the complete or partial disconnection along the breathing circuit could quickly lead to lack of oxygen, brain injury, and death. This is also why the intensive Security Unit is such a dangerous place. That's why ventilators incorporate sensors and alarms to warm when disconnection occurs. These alarms must be set to appropriate levels and must be heard when they sound. You know, it sounds silly, doesn't it? But if you've ever been into, in an intensive unit, it is so noisy, and there are so many alarms going off that after a while, it's easy to get um, desensitized to it. Or one alarm might go off for one patient, and you think it's another patient. Uh, So there's all kinds of mix-ups and opportunities for mix-ups. And so the institute that's investigating this has investigated cases in which serious patient harm resulted from alarms being set to inappropriate levels so that the alarm didn't activate or the staff didn't hear it. And I'm here to tell you that, that... that's a really dismal, unfortunate event. And a lot of times, people end up in, in these, uh, on these ventilator situations routinely after surgery. So again, you're starting with a person who was in a pretty good health. And then, just because um, the decision was made, maybe to leave them on the ventilator a little longer after surgery, with the anesthesia wear off, um, that the person becomes... Uh, brain dead, or just plain dead, as they say. (laughs) Patient handling device errors. This is a real problem, because a lot of times patients either are not mobile or not allowed to be mobile, and so the people who are handling them and moving them around may not be aware that a particular limb is stuck somewhere or the skin is tearing or, or something like that. Or worse yet, a lift device might just give and the person just falls to the ground. And so uh, what does this source say? A survey of a thousand hospitals found that patient handling injuries, often caused by improper use of devices to the patients, accounted for twenty five percent of all workers' compensation claims, so now the workers are, are being injured, for the healthcare industry. So for example, with patient lift devices, a sling was not attached properly or the lift was overloaded. Wow, that's a disaster that means that patient fell. The testing of mobile patient lifts found that some could deform when overloaded, which means the, the lever or arm could actually bend. And the FDA has noted that tipping of the lift is a concern if the patient's weight shifts or if the lift is not positioned correctly underneath the bed. When using transfer boards, caregivers should avoid shearing forces when inserting the board under the patient, especially for those with pressure ulcers or burns. What they don't communicate here is that when you put the board under the patient and shearing forces occur, it creates ulcers or burns. And again, um, skin ulcers are a substantial cause of death. Um, between 25 to 40,000 patients a year die from ulcers or a pressure source. And a lot of times these begin with what appears to be really a minor injury from a scrape um, encountered during a patient handling uh, event. What's the answer to that? Fortunately, the answer to that is not to become a patient because a lot of times during a hospital stay, patients do become immobile, either um, after surgery, where they're transferred to the surgery, type, surgery table and then off the surgery table, or um, after an X-ray procedure or X-ray test, so there's all kinds of opportunities for a patient to be, to be immobile and to, be, and to get what appears to be initially a trivial skin injury, and in which can develop into a deadly um, ulcer. Okay, dose creep and diagnostic radiation exposures. What's dose creep? It's a cute term for cumulative, additive overdosing. So, what happens then is The progress from films the use of digital detection and diagnostic x-ray has led to dose creep, whereby radiation exposure levels are increased by clinicians over time in order to achieve better image quality. When your doctor is doing x-ray, he can actually request better resolution. I mean, he wants to see the picture better. Or the x-ray technician or even the radiologist can decide they need a better image quality. And so what they do then is they increase the radiation level. And what they say here very euphemistically is the patients may be exposed to unnecessarily high radiation levels. In other words, the radiation level that you're informed the test entails may actually be much, much higher. You might get a much higher level because of the desire of your caregivers or doctors to be sure that they see a particular spot they're concerned with which involves, of course, a very high, a much higher radiation level. The cumulative effect on patients suggested in multiple doses, that means when you repeat the x-rays, and in the intensive period, some patients get x-rays daily, uh, can become significant, especially neonatal patients. What does that mean, neonatal? That means newborns that are critically ill, especially in this case, premature babies. And this may be one of the contributing factors to why the advent of neonatal specialists um, or premature specialists has not substantially increased survival for premature infants. Very interesting. So, they recommend that hospitals investigate whether a software upgrade is available if digital radiology systems are not already equipped to use a standardized exposure index. So, again, we have the introduction of computers into healthcare, and with that introduction, it had a hazard with the technology. And so the appearance of technology actually helping is in many cases an illusion. Robotic surgery dangers. You know, I'm sorry you guys can't see this picture, but it's, uh, it's amazing. We have this picture with a bed and several metal arms coming out of the bed and these metal arms are covered in plastic and they totally obscure the patient which of course is exactly the problem is that the patient is totally obscured. The patient's welfare or well-being is not even Visible here or perceivable. Can't even see the, pa- uh, the patient. I think it's a little bit of flesh here we're seeing. Uh, it, but this is, this is a seriously dangerous situation. And so what, what, do, what do the experts say? Robot-assisted surgery changes the surgical process for all involved. Adverse events, that means bad things, can occur if surgeons and associated staff are not sufficiently trained. So it's not the machine's fault. This robot. No, no, no. You have to have more training for staff. And so this institute has investigated several cases in which situations is unique to robot-assisted surgery. Probably contributed to patient harm. These events occurred because of factors such as need to reposition team members or equipment to accommodate the size of the robot. So it's not the size of the robot, but the need to accommodate the size of the robot. See how that euphemism goes? Repositioning of the patient or accidental movement of the operating room table during the procedure and blasts in common safety practices and team communication. I'm telling you, if you see this picture, there's just, there's no fix for this. You have the patient laying in the bed, surrounded by one, two, three, four robots, and you have the surgeon doing the robotic surgery several feet away, staring into a computer screen. And this, of course, is one of the top 10 dangers of 2015. Okay, and this is one that I told you about in 2014, cybersecurity problems. As the trend towards networking and connectivity of medical devices grows, so does the increase in the vulnerability of these devices to malware and malicious attacks. Now, they're going to blame this on malware malicious attacks. The truth of the matter is, the patient record being put online is as secure as anything else being put online. Just the act of putting it online creates the security threat. The Institute is not aware of any patient harm resulting from a device being hacked. However, there have been some worrisome incidents. Devices that became infected with malware caused a hospital to temporarily shut down its cat lab. Whoa, Cash labs are big bucks. I don't want to shut those down. Many healthcare organizations have had to inform patients that protected health information had been released inappropriately or even stolen. And so as I mentioned before, this is huge. This is a major industry um, in terms of identity theft. You really can't top this. When someone's stolen your medical records and they have all the personal information that you've divulged to your doctors, to the specialists, um, they pretty much own you, and it's tough to shut that down. What's the answer? Well, the answer, of course, is to stay out of the system. That's one answer. The next answer is, if you have to enter the system, treat the doctor for what he is, a security risk. Any information you give to the doctor can and will be used against you. And that's something to really um, be aware of. They say that's no joke. All right, the next hazard, recall and safety alert management. Now, this can apply to drugs as well. Back in the old days, if there was a recall of a drug or if there was a black box warning about a drug, doctors got mailings, and they literally opened their mail, opened piece pieces, whatever, and read it or not, but at least they got it. Physically, they got it. It touched their hands. Now, all these recalls are being done electronically and all the, I can't see for all the recalls, but certainly all the black box warnings now are being done electronically. And so it's a big chance that the doctor's email address has changed, he doesn't open his email, a lot of chances to miss the recall notice. The number of medical device recalls nearly doubled between 2003 and 2012 and 604 recalls a year to 1,190 annually. This is the number of devices recalled, not the number of patients affected. And this is according to the FDA. Existing hospital recall tracking programs may not be keeping pace. <laughs> I guess not. Um, the Institute cites two troubling incidents in which notices about software updates or recalls were not heated. In one case, patients were subjected to inappropriate treatment. In the other, the oversight caused the device to overheat, severely damaging it and putting the patient and staff at considerable risk of immediate harm. Read fire. So recall, for so the medicine used to inform doctors, and when I'm talking about is of recall devices, is uh, is inadequate because, of course, the, re- recall, the number of recalls is increasing tremendously. And with that, that's really the tip of the iceberg. These are only ten worst health so care dangers. Not the, not the one hundred worst. Questions by the healthcare industry uh, itself. Not my list. Uh, their list. Now, other healthcare danger. You wouldn't think it, help. Physical exam, yeah, physical exam, major, major danger.
0: <laughs>
1: okay, so this is um, by Dr. Ezekiel in the annual. i a bashful in the status quo and I recently Op-Ed is new, you don't have time mainstream sources. The digital should skip the
0: annual
1: in which he replied age 25. The idea of skipping preventive maintenance goes the dogma. Yeah, that's you know, something you do to an engine, number, a machine, or an android or a robot. This is not exactly a human thing. Yes, Dr. Emmanuel is correct. His reasoning highlights a core problem in health care today. Over diagnosis. Okay, so we have here a respected medical source, Medscape, with a respected say licensed doctor, Dr. Manuel, who says you it's for your health and they're saying, Yes, it is. Yet people are still advised to count. Amazing. It's important to make clear that my commentary is this author, and if you to the in patients without symptoms or disease, which is have to disease, it is unwise to see your doctor so he might find them. And actually, I have research on this. In 2012, uh, they reviewed 14 clinical trials involving 100,000 patients. Find three that we should derive no benefit with an annual physical exam. This is exactly what I was told our Lord in 1983. Actually, 1979 to 83. We were told we should do complete exam. We should annual exam, and oops, the annual exam was of no medical benefit to the patient. <laughs> if the annual physical is of absolutely no benefit to the patient, then why do it? Of course, the answer is it's a great financial benefit to the physician and the industry as a whole. So let's see what they say. So, no, it's not a for the injury, not any common cause, such as injuries, Alzheimer's.
0: So, these, are not,
1: these things are not prevented. You can just throw in, well, injuries, Alzheimer's. So, many important abnormalities are detected during screening, very low-risk people, simply the not work as actually does. In theory, it could be beneficial. But in the theory, theory it could be beneficial in theory. So it's not in theory it actually gets effective. It's in theory it could be, so it could, which is like basically we no. And so I suggest a check in rather than a check up. But it's not that way now. Patients make the manual physical exam, so they do auto maintenance. This is a totally inappropriate comparison. Auto maintenance, you change the oil. You know, you actually improve the performance of the car. But then it's the annual improvement of the performance and health of the individual patient. The doctors hold strong with the wrong surrogate markers of health. Doctors hold strong? Excuse me? Doctors were trained with these wrong surrogate markers doctors are trained in these wrong markers. These wrong markers have become the standard of care. There's so many don't have an annual physical exam then you're a bad doctor. The insurance committee is going to, the licensing boards going to done something wrong. Your recertification committee, I mean, the, the threats are just incredible. Now, back when I was in practice. That I could simply ask somebody to come in for a annual exam when I knew it was open. So I had people come in for physical exam, annual physical exam at their own insistence. And so here it is: we look, or doctors look for irregularities in lab values and EKGs and shadowy ultrasound images rather than scale reading. And so, Parties, that means the doctor and the patient, underneath the variability and variability of these humans. In other words, it just will do very well and the client can correct all you. And then variability, a wide range of normal. A person can have two to three abnormal values of their annual exam, And annual abnormal values have no impact on their longevity. who shows up with any acute problem. For so in earlier very early remarks, this man hasn't seen a doctor in 40 years. The inference, of course, is that a doctor could have been against age diseases diseases at 90 years old. No doctor can protect you against enough to you to 90 years. That this person lived that long because he avoided harm from doctors. So, this is what doctors are being told the um, information they're getting. Now, one of the lines I use with patients is the first rule of doctoring is that if a patient says these lines not the mess that up, do no harm, but resist the herd. This has become no small thing in our medical system. Within. Now, again, doctors are here. The doctor recommending his patients. In fact, does not even do this. Or strong on the patient's After After rating
0: by the insurance
1: company, by his um, specialty organization, declined. So it's an incredible amount of that the um, doctor is under to these acts that's absolutely of no help whatever to patients. So the amount of pressure here and they do not have but like, this uh SA pressure, which is basically uh, free will. So doctors are following these rigid protocols and now that surveillance being as it is, um, doctors are pressure. To engage in this dangerous annual ritual. This is an example. In EKG is done during an annual exam on a patient with no complaints, doctor knows one PVC. Premature ventricular. And that means that a stress test and ethylcardiogram are older, not rule about finding. Of course, there are now, a well patient is worried, fear is cardiology gets involved. The stress test clothing can indicate a blockage of the cardiologist, but not to seen the patient. It's had that one long PVC that didn't even cause symptoms. For the task through the person artery into the person's heart, an emergency code that means the heart's doctor, in the cath lab it's the place where the procedure is done. The guiding catheter well, is something that is normal and And a formerly well patient is being rushed to the operating room and is now
0: very, very
1: sick. This is the problem with maintenance. One thing to have a complicated condition. You don't like complications. What are treating a sick person? you're trying to make, and the things are action over inaction, but if you and the sick patient would probably make the same decision again, that healthy. It's a much different story. A complication and a healthy patient is saying the real event that should never happen in the practice of medicine. Taking patients who greatly and making them an ass is the ultimate. This is the risk of the annual physical exam. So once in the machine, it's hard, hard to get out. And what he says is what I've been saying, and you, you know, you've heard it here first. Health does not come from health care. It doesn't. It comes from basic things. This is, this is what they, good food. Good an extra food. And good luck. Things come with your health insurance policy. So, the corollary then is health does not care, but health also does not come from health insurance. There you go. And I'm just shocked, shocked, floored by people who say, Oh my God, I don't have health insurance. Are you kidding? Throw a party break. So, caregivers cannot do these things for people uh, at all. You know, they can't stop someone from eating cookies. And doctors worsen lifestyle related disease when they accept drugs and good replacements for healthy choices. And doctors, she says, needs to just interfere, not as failing to detect disease, but both patients and doctors fear a health ways to avoid medical avoid medical care. There's no shortcut. There's absolutely no shortcut to that. One avoid med- avoid medical care. And you heard it yourself from that. The oxygen okay. authority uh, written, licensed practicing doctor. What I'm going to do now is I'm going to take some questions. So if you're on the phone, you can, um, your uh, question button there. And, and we'll send our attention to the chat. Dr. you had a sudden anaphylactic allergy, main toxic ingredient ever. Your throat is closing up. Without a chest to nasal can your throat to keep the airway open, what immediate emergency measures would you do? Now, there's been a lot of assumptions here, Ocean. First of all, that's not to create an emergency to the open airway that the person can breathe through. Uh, a lot of lay people, uh, Who are an in that and say to people why? So, in other words, it's not clear if medical intervention is actually needed. You know, have a tube in, you know, breathe, and still
0: things you uh, it can also
1: be made. But this airway can be treated by a non doctor bystander. Uh, you know my is not a doctor has performed this operation or procedure as you can say people in their lives what well, this dirty so just being into the fecal trim because with the dirty fla so um, first of all you're getting a bunch of chemical employees along with this clump of feces has not been processed with salt water, has not been processed with dilution. Uh, and this species has been subjected to incredible addition. Uh, and so you're more likely to actually be putting into someone um, the very resistant, antibiotic-resistant organisms that are this is in no way similar to a equal transplant because you're mixed, you're taking the feces, let's say, injecting it to um, powerful antimicrobial disinfectants, and so now you're oh, pushing some resistance, and that goes into the next person. This is seriously that. Yeah. Uh, that's a manual. is a part of the school slot, it redefines the doctor's duty and insisting that it includes really good and on a patient's meat. But thought that it dangerous, and most Americans are likely to agree. And put yourself in the case of a doctor. And so, I think mean, it's a all things actually. But if you can find what,
0: what you can say is,
1: let's abolish the annual physical for the exam. Too many people take the grade good argument. Then you can say let's go on procedures that are more harmful than good and simply abolish them. Of course, there are some people, uh, some patients, theoretically might suffer from not having the availability, but that's really specious because it's so awful that it really is the benefit. The benefit is being not due to the search. So if you're a doctor, you know that you're working with fake research and unreliable information uh, created by me, then you might the broad, broad stroke approach and just abolish the procedures that are harming everybody. And so that is um,
0: all turned into a
1: greater good form. Uh, other doctors, the ones who want personalized
0: care, they say,
1: fix the standard of those but you have a lot of uh, evil, so to speak. Of, the answer, of course, which is pay for you want a refuse. Doesn't want to hear, hey, back off. At least at least uh, that should be the case. The want increased health insurance. So you look behind these arguments a little bit, and see that each one is equally dangerous. The position behind this greater good view dangerous, and a lot of them are pro-solid uh, and see if I can talk everyone into doing my procedures. And so you have to realize you what know, behind these are or individualized care side, the patient still loses. I guess the a person to get help is a little on man, absolutely. That you can't beat, beat that doctor for dangerous danger. So that's the end of our show today. Check out uh, com and we'll see you next week. And let me see if we can find
0: our
1: outgoing oh, music. Here we are. Okay, see you next week.